0: Cat Disgusted is a show about veterinary nursing. It is not a show about how to cure your sick pet. If your animal is sick, take it to the vet. Don't be a crazy person and use a podcast to cure your puking, cat, dog, chinchilla, etc. etc. I think they would tell you the same thing. If they could. Mm, Which they can't. Which makes it hard. You know what's up. Take them to the vet. Greetings, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Cat Disgusted, a podcast for veterinary technicians and the people and animals who love them. Each episode, we explore the best of times and the worst of times in veterinary nursing. I'm your host, Nicole Dickerson. I'm an RBT and veterinary technician specialist in emergency and critical care, and this is What Happens. Ladies and gentlemen, and thank you for tuning in to Cat Disgusted. It's been a minute since we've been here together. You know, I I was inspired to come back and 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 get back into this this whole podcast thing because I was so lucky, and I got to be a guest on another podcast called the Vet Tech Cafe Podcast, which you should totally check out. Um, my episode doesn't come out for a little bit. But just talking again into a microphone um, with some other people was really nice. And it was nice to kind of check in about Vet Med and and what's been going on with Vet Med and like the funny stories from Vet Med and all that. I'm like, oh, yeah, this is fun. (laughs) So... Uh, you know i, I, I th- it's a bit of a one woman show quite honestly this this podcast and this woman's been a little bit distracted and so i haven't uh, haven't been here as often and uh, I'm sorry about that guys I feel like uh, I've neglected y'all for a minute but I'm back um, and so i what I want to do today what I want to do I want to talk about What's happening to veterinary technicians right now? Now, I'm really fortunate that, you know, the listeners of this podcast, you know, you're not all vet med people. Um, I've kind of scattered my career and interests in enough directions that I, I feel like we're a p- pretty diverse group here. Um, but we all have this common denominator, which is that we love animals. You know, and that's why we're all here together. We own animals. We care for animals. We think they're hilarious and they get into trouble, which is inevitable. Uh, And that's when you get to, that's when you get to me. That's when you go to the vet. Uh, So that's where we're going to start today. Now I've I've titled this episode, the state of the situation, because, you know, that was our way in emergency when there was a situation, something going down, we'd often refer to it as the situation (laughs) that was happening. Um, We've touched a little bit on the fact that COVID literally opened the fiery gates of hell in veterinary medicine, uh, but that is still very much true. Now, part of the problem that we're seeing now is that now that the fiery gates of hell have opened before us, it's really difficult to get them closed. Um, This may be the way that things are now for a cool minute. Uh, this may be the new reality: these extended wait times and this uh, madness that we see with understaffing and too many clients. And so now, the way that thinking is in my community is that this is the new this is the new normal. This is how it's going to be. So we have to get used to this. Now, I'm not really. It's not really a good wordage. Get used to this. I think. I do agree that this may be the new reality that we're facing, but I I'm not really acquiescing to the fact that this is the way that it has to be for us who are working in the field. So that's kind of what I want to touch on today is what's going down in veterinary medicine. And I want everybody who is not directly involved in working in veterinary hospitals to know about this because essentially that's what comes down to is the animals and the clients and who's coming through the doors. And so We're going to start with uh, the the things that are going down, things, plural, that are going down, uh, the birth of the veterinary technician, and, and how we get to where we are. So let's start with the most immediate experience that we have today from the client's perspective. We all are well aware that the wait times have been very extensive in emergency medicine. I mean, we're talking like eight to 10 hour waits. There are emergency rooms that are closing entirely or are reducing their hours, which means that people are driving further to get to emergency departments. Uh, General practices are not taking on new clients or they have two months to three months out uh, to book appointments, and that's for anything. That's for wellness checks, vaccines, surgeries, all those things. And what the clients are hearing are that it's too busy or we're understaffed. And it's kind of like becoming a bit of an echo chamber that that's the pervasive uh, explanation as to what's going on. But there, it's more complicated. And so I want to try to illuminate what some of those things are. Now, during COVID, there's been this... I don't want to say it's a rumor because we don't really know. There's been some studies about this, but it seems as though there are too many animals that are coming in the doors and not enough people to care for them. Um, One theory was that because everybody was home during COVID, that's too many animals or well, not too many, but that all animals were adopted out of the shelters. And so therefore, everybody had more animals and then they were at home. And so all of a sudden they have all this excess of animals to bring into emergency rooms and hospitals. Now, we don't really know that that's necessarily true. Um, In fact, there was a study that was referenced on the Vet Tech Cafe podcast, actually, that said that the adoption rates didn't really fluctuate that much during COVID. Um, Fosters were happening, which is great, but so that doesn't really explain uh, this crunch that we're seeing in the hospitals. Now, the other part of it is short staffing. And that's actually what I want to talk about first, because that's something that I know a lot about personally, uh, because I very much experienced that myself am still experiencing that myself. So what does short staffing mean in a veterinary hospital? Well, nine times out of 10, it means there's not enough veterinary technicians. Uh, So where are they? Where are they? Short staffing implies that we were staffed at one time. (laughs) Now that, I'm not necessarily sure is 100% true, 100% of the time. Uh, But let's look at how a veterinary technician is born, is made, um, and the average career lifespan of this creature. And we'll kind of go from there. So there's two paths to get to being a veterinary technician. and Well, I'm going to boil it down to two paths, two main paths. Roads that diverge in the woods. So there's, you can go to school to be a veterinary technician, or you can get employed at a veterinary hospital and through experience, um, graduate yourself into being a veterinary technician. Meaning you could be working in the kennels and then at the front desk and then get into the back, quote unquote, and then you're then you're going to be mentored by veterinary technicians that are already there. Now, me personally, I went to school, so I went to an accredited uh, RVT program, California RVT program. I went to a profit institution. I went to Carrington college. I went there for like 22 months, which is the same as the gestation period of an elephant coincidence. I don't know. Um, I experienced very aggressive recruiting by the Carrington college institution. When I expressed interest in that school, um, I'm going to say it again, they are a profit institution, so they want your money. We had a very small graduating class, even though the initial number of people that were in the class was closer to 35. I think maybe 12 of us actually graduated the program at the end. And out of those 12 of us, an even smaller group of us actually got our uh, California RBT license. So the school made a lot of money um, just from having all those people come in uh, initially and not completing the program. And they're left with debt because of that because there's Pell grants and things that people apply for this is really a subject for another podcast but I just don't want it to go unknown that those schools are there to make money now for me it worked because the program was fairly short I wasn't interested in doing a whole nother four years and so for me I made it work for myself and I wasn't gonna let the man win I wasn't gonna quit so I went through the whole thing got my license done now if you didn't want to go through the school experience you just wanted to work your way uh, that is another path that you can take you know you can and just like I'd mentioned before you know sometimes it goes from like kennel to front desk to veterinary technician it could be front desk to veterinary technician what's weird about that is that it's you know work at the front desk and work in the ICU like go care for cancer patients after taking appointments for four years, that's the same, right? I mean, not really, but if you're if you're uh working your way through the echelon, that kind of is what happens now, it's not necessarily wrong. I mean, I want to say that my mentor, my dearest most valuable mentor who took me on and taught me how to do this job, Natasha Fields, she's been doing this for almost 30 years. She's not licensed. She, she is a veterinary technician that took that path and my VTS in emergency and critical care belongs to her. So, you know, it's, it, it's not necessarily wrong. It's just, it's, it's another way to go and not being licensed is definitely something that employers are going to consider when they're figuring out how much to pay you. Now, uh, After the technician has gone through one of these two paths, off to the hospital they go, uh, licensed or not. Now, something about that license, each state is different. Some states have no license at all. There's no national standard. So what does that mean? So what it means is there's like, unlike human medicine, where you can be an RN, and you're an RN is an RN is an RN in any state that you go. Um, we have to transfer our licenses between states. So like, you know, between Oregon and California is a good example. Cause you think it's right next door. It's all going to be the same. No, no, no. Oregon has their own license. California has their own license and they don't talk to each other. So if I was to move to Oregon, I can't use my California license there. I have to get an Oregon license and that takes time and jumping through a whole lot of hoops to do. And that seems kind of weird. Like, and it's all, it's different. Like their license is different than California's Utah until very, very recently to the credit of technicians who've been working in Utah, um, Utah didn't have a license at all. And they just recently through the efforts of, um, one veterinary technician in particular got their, got their state to give them a license. Now, that's kind of a crazy thing. So that's something to think about with uh, with with veterinary technicians in the U.S. Now, there's also um, the issue of pay. So in more rural areas, like, you know, the middle of America, the flyover states, I mean, we're looking at minimum wage. I mean, sometimes it's like 10 bucks an hour uh, when you're working in veterinary hospitals. California's a little bit better. That can be somewhere between like $19, $25 an hour starting. You know, it could be less, could be a little bit more, depending on your experience, depending if you have a license. But, you know, it's not, it's not high-end work. I mean, you know, you can pretty much make the same amount starting a job in the Amazon warehouse, quite honestly, or driving for Amazon or working for In-N-Out. Those are all kind of the same starting pay. So it gives you an idea about where we're at there as medical professionals. So now the veterinary technician is being paid as much as an In-N-Out worker in the veterinary hospital, and it's busy. Breaks are rare. Schedules change. They change around. Uh, it's hard to take time off. People call out all the time. So even if you have staff, they may call out sick, especially if they're working overnight. Um, the The job itself is very physical. You're lifting heavy dogs onto x-ray tables. Uh, you get cat bites on your hands and face <laughs> sometimes. Um, you're on your feet. All day, you know, shifts are anywhere from eight to 10 hours. I know people that work three 12-hour shifts, so they get more days off in a row. Injuries happen when you're tired. They happen when you're not tired. It's this world that gives the veterinary technician a lifespan of about five to seven years. That's about how long people are lasting in this career. Now, let's put COVID into this world enter curbside service enter gps reduced hours curbside service now if you're listening to this podcast my guess is you've experienced this when COVID happened uh veterinary hospitals couldn't have clients inside and so what we did was we kept the clients in the cars we communicated by phone and the veterinary technicians would come out and take your dog or cat to take them into the hospital to do treatments or diagnostics. This slowed things down. I think that one thing that could have taken, you know, twenty minutes, twenty-five minutes to get you checked in, I th- triple that, triple that with the phone call. Did you pick up? Did you not? Who's that number from? Which car are you in? I mean, at the beginning of this, it was a hot. Mess Now it's a little bit more streamlined because people are getting a little bit more used to it. And now some people are even being able to come in the doors for certain things. But you know, for the last year and a half, it's all been veterinary medicine in the parking lot via phone and um, veterinary technicians running in and out of your car door and the trunk of your car to get dogs and cats. So that slowed things down a lot now also because of the general practices reducing their hours and not taking on new clients now it's a mix of things for that you know the not taking on new clients was because they were reducing their hours they didn't literally could not have enough people to see your animals but also they didn't want new people because it was more humans and more humans meant more exposure So all of this created huge log jams within emergency. Because if people couldn't get into their regular vets, then they would come to emergency. Um, And then also emergency was slowed down immensely by the curbside service thing. And clients lost their minds are still losing their minds. And this happens not just because of the wait times, not just because of this, because of this unfamiliar, weird curbside service thing, but because of the freaking pandemic, people were on edge, are on edge. Thankfully, vaccines have made it a little bit more possible, like a, a little bit more relaxed in terms of human interaction. But the pandemic made people insane. And so clients were awful are still awful at veterinary hospitals. Now, what does this do to these people that are already without breaks? Before this started, before this even started, already without breaks, already working too many hours, getting hurt on the job, paid minimum wage, or slightly more, vet techs leave. They began to leave. And although there always has been a high turnover, it was nothing compared to what we saw during the height of COVID. So what was already a stressed environment collapsed in on itself and the people that are remaining, the people that are remaining in the hospitals, no training is happening. There's no forward motion of the career or of um, of the people that are trying to, to, to increase their knowledge. There's no critical thinking on how to make things better. People are just treading water. They're just trying to survive. They're in crisis mode. Now, what happens to experienced vet techs, people who've been doing it for 10 years plus, like myself, what happens to us? Where are we? What are we doing? This environment makes smart people leave. Not everyone wants to train people, but that's what happens. So how does that happen? Okay, so let's think about this. So if I have people who are in the job 10 years plus, like myself, if I have a, a fleet of coworkers that are either leaving the industry or incoming into the industry because the turnover is so high, I'm constantly training people. I constantly have people who are less experienced than me and not just less, less experienced than me, but that are new to the building, like literally just don't know what drawers have what in them. You know what I mean? Where's the thermometer probe covers? Like, you know, that type of thing. I mean, that's not... That's not a high trained skill to know where the probe covers are, but you know what? It just takes me a second to show you where the drawer is, where the probe covers are. And so all of that high ton- high turnover that already existed prior to COVID hitting was already a stressor, and now you're going to put even more turnover, even more short staffing. It makes the smart people want to leave because really – when you've been in this career this long, you're in it because you want to learn, because there's always something new, because there's always something interesting. There's always a new case or there's a new skill or something. But if all you're doing is treading water, just trying to like get a chance to pee and drink uh, like a sip of coffee <laughs> during your shift between IV catheters... You know, you you kind of those types of priorities start to start to fade into the background, and then it kind of just becomes this thing of, and we are all guilty of this. Everybody who's experienced is guilty of this. Just, just let me do it. Like, just I just want to get it done. I just want to get it done. Just let me put. Just let me put it there. Just let me do it. And then you're not teaching. And then you're you're not teaching anybody anything new. You're not learning anything new. and I think what also happens is that, this is this is a big pet peeve of mine, is that a trainer and a trainee, that doesn't equal two people on the floor. It doesn't equal two people on the schedule. That's actually a half a person. I would say that all the time. Like if you're giving me someone to train, I'm a half a person. And that person is a zero because I am now taking half of my time to train this other person. And that person is not doing things independently. I'm with them. So they're like a non-human and I'm half a human because I've got a non-human attached to me. So when people schedule trainees and trainers together, you got to consider that you got to have more people on the schedule, not less. And usually what happens is there's like, Oh, thank God, a warm body. And then they don't have as many people on the, they either have the same amount or less because they're like, Oh, thank God. Here's somebody who fills the space but it's not the same thing. So this is what makes experienced people want to look elsewhere. So who's managing this? Who's who's trying to to keep these people who are experienced and valuable? I mean, that's exactly who you want to keep in the hospital, is that population. Who's managing this? Who's who's like allowing those people to get so burnt out? Who runs the joint? So here's something that I would like the public to know. Corporations, big, large, faceless, rich corporations, they are buying veterinary hospitals. Now, the ones I can tell you about, uh, Mars, as in Mars the Candy Company, they own Banfield, Blue Pearl, and VCA. Those are all hospitals that I that I'm almost positive you've seen in your area. Now, Banfield's the one that's attached to all the pet stores. Like, I think it's the Pet Petco's. VCA is usually more kind of GP, sometimes specialist oriented, um, but they do have emergencies as well. And Blue Pearl is the uh, specialty hospital. Now, VCA and the Blue Pearl, you'll you'll see those ones have. Uh, 24-hour care a lot of the time. So there's emergencies, definitely. Banfield's kind of more your vaccine and spay-neuter type of joint. There's also Ethos. Ethos is another uh, chain of hospitals. That one's partnered with an investment company that's named Brown Brothers Harriman & Company. Um, Sage Veterinary Centers, uh, that was bought by JAB. JAB owns Pete's Coffee and Panera. So what do these companies have to do with veterinary medicine? (laughs) Like, I'm really curious, actually, how many people who are not veterinary medicine people who are listening to this knew that. Did you know? Did you know that? That there are these big corporations that are buying up veterinary hospitals all over the place, and that's who they are. Um, These companies, they're not stupid. They're very smart. They know that you will spend money on your pet and that you will spend a lot of money on your pet. Um, These companies know that and they want the profit. And when you think about what is expensive in businesses, staff is the biggest expense in a business. And if your staff is young and they're new and the demographic is largely female, which veterinary technicians are, you've got a really cheap demographic to pay. Um, And it's not long-term because these people have a short span of their career. They'll quit, and that's fine, because what these companies will do is just bring in new ones. Uh, Walmart taught us this, that that's the way that you save money on your employees is by cycling them through. High turnover is cheap, great. Not a lot of long-term benefits, perfect. You could even part-time them, even better. And you know this thing that's happening that you'll see as veterinary technicians is that they're offering these bonuses, these like crazy bonuses, like, you know, $2,500 bonus, $5,000 bonus. You know what, it's a lot cheaper to pay you that $5,000 one-time bonus than it is to actually pay you a living wage for the entire time that you're working with the company and give you benefits that are gonna be uh, justified, like medical and retirement. What what's that even? What's a retirement even? You know, that's it, it's cheaper for them to dangle the golden carrot of that one time benefit to you than it is for them to actually pay you what you're worth for the years that you'll be with the company. That's expensive, and they know that. They know that. We've seen this happen before. This is not a new phenomenon. There's another industry um, that, uh, that I I was talking to my wife about this and all of a sudden it was like the light bulb came on. I'm like, Oh my God, it's the same thing. The funeral industry is also, uh, predatory on loss. And what I mean by that is that there, it used to be that the funeral homes that you saw were kind of mom and pop shops. They were independently owned. Now there are these big faceless corporations, these big funeral industries that, uh, have bought up, All of those mom-and-pop shops, the same way that Mars has bought up all of the mom-and-pop small veterinary practices... the, these big these big conglomerates of the funeral industry have done that as well. And it's a bit of a similar situation because, you know, it is so expensive to die. Your coffin is expensive. The plot is expensive. The, having a the funeral is expensive. The flowers are expensive. and these companies have absorbed all of those individual elements so that you can pay this company thousands and thousands of dollars when you are in your greatest need of support. like you're you're an an emotionally vulnerable person at that moment and you just want to have it done and you want to have it done right and you want to do justice to the ones that you love and so you will spend the money and those companies they know that they know that same thing in veterinary medicine you're in a place of vulnerability your beloved little fuzzy one is sick you want it to be better you will do anything to help that little thing come home and these companies know that and they will take your money now That money, (laughs) the thousands and thousands of dollars that you're paying, vet techs are not seeing that. The doctors are not seeing that. You know, doctors have over $300,000 in school debt most of the time to pay off. They're not making that back. Like entry-level vet wage does not pay back those student loans in any kind of efficient amount of time. So where is that money going? these corporations, they're private. They don't have to tell you. So you actually don't, like, you can't track the money with these big corporations. And if you're a small mom and pop shop veterinarian, you know, like if you're a practice owner, when those companies come in and you're tired and you haven't had a proper day off, Or like been able to really take a proper vacation because you have to make sure all your staff is taking their vacation. I mean, when someone dangles you a big ass check to take over that business, it's really hard to say no. It's really hard for those people to say no because they're tired. They're tired it's a bit of a thankless industry. It's like like restaurant owners kind of feel that can can have that same type of thing. It's like, you're never really off when you're the owner of a business. And if someone comes in and is going to offer you a really excellent price so that you could actually retire or think about retiring, man, that is a hard thing to say no to. So I do want to talk about burnout um, because I think that uh i think that it's relevant to to our world um as like in the veterinary technician experience and i just heard this excellent podcast um That's from, uh, uh, it's it's a series called Dope Labs. I highly recommend it. Um, Titi Shodaya. I hope I'm saying that right. Shodaya, Shodaya, Shodia. Sorry, girl. And Zakaya Watley. They are the hosts and they do an excellent job. And they just recently had one on burnout. And I think it really rings true with the veterinary industry. So I just kind of want to bullet point a couple of the things that they brought up. First of all, burnout is universal during the pandemic. Everyone's feeling this. And the reason why are the following things. Precarity. This is an interesting concept to me. Precarity, insecurity. That's what that means. So precarious situations. That's a huge factor. Being insecure about how things are going to go every day. Who's safe? What's safe? Where can you go? Where can't you go? Um, And you have coping mechanisms to to deal with that kind of precarity in your everyday life. The other thing uh, that can contribute to burnout, surveillance, and that means micromanagement, like anxiety from being micromanaged. Now we see this in veterinary hospitals all the time. Precarity being like the scheduling—you're not really sure where things are going to be. Is someone going to call out? Are they not? And then when things aren't going well, that management's trying to like solve it by kind of pointing the finger at who's on the floor. Like, oh, well, did you do this? Well, did you do this? Well, that person's not coming in. Well, that person's calling out all the time. Well, this... You know, like you just—it just kind of—it's just kind of. It's just kind of nailing at the things that are short-term and not doing a global perspective analysis about what's going on. Um, Inconsistent scheduling generally can cause burnout just because no one knows what the next thing is going to be. So even with everybody attending, even if you didn't have people calling out all the time, inconsistency with the scheduling can cause people to feel insecure, can cause that sense of precarity. Um, And the call out thing, I know I keep bringing that up it's because it's very real. Like when people can't feel, when people don't feel like they can take vacation, when people don't feel like they can take um, time for themselves, they don't show up. They start to self-preserve, self-preservation crisis mode, which is just not to come in. And that's what you start to see happen in these types of practices. Now, burnout behaviors, Uh, checking out with screen time. That's a big one. It's a very numb and broad space that you can check into. You see there's a lot of problems with phones on the floor in veterinary hospitals, people staring at their phones, staring at the IG, staring at whatever, stupid videos. Part of it is, I think, because you can kind of numb your brain a little bit. I mean, we're all attached to our phones for sure, but it's a burnout behavior to just kind of numb your mind like that. We People do it all the time. I do it. I know I, I, I'm, I'm not innocent of this coping mechanism. The other thing that can happen, people work more. Um, people will work more hours. They'll do the overtime um, just to feel validated and justified in their job because they're not getting it in their daily experience Otherwise, Um, this all sounds very familiar to veterinary technicians, even though when Titi and Zakaya were talking about it, it was a a broad universal burnout uh, that's happening in the pandemic to everyone. But this really rings true with us. And actually, they had two specific examples, which were teachers and zookeepers. (laughs) Like, zookeepers? That's me. And it's because they're both historically low paying jobs that. Uh, people have a calling to like, you don't think like, I'm gonna become a zookeeper and make a billion dollars. Like that's just not how it goes. I'm gonna become a school teacher. That's where the money's at. (laughs) No, you go because you have a calling to do that work to, to do that type of job to feel good about your life. And that's exactly what you're exploited for doing you're exploited for doing what you love. Now, let's talk about solutions. If there are any. <laughs> I feel like I'm a little I'm a little despondent about this. I I really don't have specific solutions myself. Well, let's see if we can find some. Let's just talk it through. Let's just see. Let's just see. Okay. Most of what will fix the veterinary industry's problem uh problems is deep into the pool stuff, like systemic change shit. You know what I mean? Like, it's not just let's buy pizza for everybody. Let's bring donuts on the weekends. Like, that's not going to fix it. I mean, yes, pizza and donuts are very good. However, it's not going to solve the fact that um, two people called out for the overnight and I have to leave at 11 o'clock and my homie's going to be by himself the entire night with only one doctor and like a GDV walks in the door. That doesn't solve that problem. Money is part of it. Um, We talked a little bit about money already, how money's moving through veterinary medicine now that these big corporations are involved. But veterinary technicians need to be paid what they're worth. And those who've been doing it for as long as I have, you know, the 10 years plus folks, the OGs, um, they need to be compensated appropriately. Like, you know, I, I don't know people who retire in small animal clinical practice, um, I had to move out of it, you know, and that's very real that a lot of the people like myself who get their specialty, um, move out of clinical practice because that's not a, a feasible place to grow old in <laughs> quite frankly, <laughs> you know, if you hurt your back moving the big dog, you know, I was, I was thinking like, how am I going to, am I going to be doing this when I'm like 65? No, I mean, it, it, it seems like you wouldn't be unless you're compensated appropriately or there's some ability for you to move upward somehow, some kind of elevation of the career so that you don't have to be lifting the giant, big, giant, heavy dog when you're 65, you know? I feel like the people who specialize and do this for longer move off the clinical floor for that reason, that you gotta be able to do something else. And I think for those of us who wanna stay in clinical practice, like I did for so long, um, and now kind of what I do is a bit of half and half, you know, I love the clinical stuff. I just love it. But it wasn't sustainable because I could I couldn't picture how I was gonna be able to not do it when I'm old and broken. Now we did talk about um, where the thousands and thousands of dollars goes that you're paying. It's not going to veterinary technicians. We're not seeing these wages move around very much. Um, so I think that that's something to it's something to be aware of. You know, I've been told horrible things from crazy from crazy clients I shouldn't say crazy clients because I feel like everyone is in a state of desperation these days from very stressed out individuals they will say, like, you're robbing me of my rent. You're taking my child's college education. Like, you know, why is it so expensive? What is all this? I mean, part of it is that, you know, a lot of people don't have pet insurance. But pet insurance is not necessarily the answer. You know, pet insurance is modeled after human health care insurance. And we all know how great that is. So, uh, you know, I think that it's it's hard to reconcile the $21,000 that you're paying for a surgery and a hospital stay with these veterinary technicians who have to work two or three jobs just to be able to pay rent. Where's it going? Well, I tell you what, the people who own Pete's and Panera, they're not going to tell you. Now, another solution is respect. FPECT vet techs need to be seen as medical professionals right now they are not because there's no national standard and there's very few that are in unions um, they're not really they're not seen as equivalent to uh, registered nurses in the human field and yet, you know, we're doing all kinds of different stuff, you know, like it's really highly specialized in human in human nursing and versus vet techs. We do it all. So I think that part of uh, keeping people in this profession is elevating the career to be as important Um as other medical professionals and I think that's also going to stop the brain drain you know like the system the system as it exists now makes smart people leave because you get stuck training all the new people with this really high tu- turnover it makes people resentful and the new people get the short end of the stick because they, they feel like there's no time for them to learn because they're, the people who are training them there's no time for them to train everyone's just kind of surviving in crisis mode now I think if there was a higher standard for entry into veterinary medicine into vet tech life that that would be so helpful you know an RVT it should be a guarantee of knowledge base and experience but it varies so much from state to state and there's no universal standard so the uh the 10 plus folks man we're an anomaly and we're tired okay let's be real here shitty clients they need to get the boot if you guys are gonna yell at vet techs, goodbye. We don't want you here. Hospitals need to respect their staff and they need to not cater to clients who yell, threaten, lie, and just generally act like asshats in the hospital. I understand that the pandemic is causing a pervasive and universal stress on all of us, but it does not mean that you can throw chairs across the room. It does not mean that you can look another human being in the eye and tell them they're, they are a terrible person. These are all the things that are happening. And it's a huge part of why people are leaving the industry. And I think that that behavior needs to not be tolerated in a very real way. It used to be the client is always right, the customer is always right. Yet, yeah, you know what? They're not. Um, and I think that that, that, falls into my solution of respect is that people who behave in that manner have have no place in your hospital now as the client as the kind understanding veterinary technician loving client that you are um what can you do what can you do to help us you know uh know what's happening in the hospital. I think that that's one thing that we can do. And that's part of why I wanted to do this episode is know what's going on. Like knowledge is power. Um, When you're going to the hospital, who owns it? Who is in charge? Who's managing it? Um, How many licensed technicians do they have? Um, What did they do for their technicians during vet tech week? I love that question, you know, like there's a there's a week in October where um, veterinary technicians are nationally recognized. What did that hospital do for their vet techs during vet tech week, you know? Um, I think it's a big empowering thing to know the role of the veterinary technicians. And honestly, if you're listening to this podcast, you already do, but you know, x-rays, blood draws, catheters, anesthesia, um, IV infusions to name a few, (laughs) you know, when doctors, when doctors say to you, well, I drew the blood myself. Why? Like, that's a big, to me, that's like, what, that's dumb. Because why didn't you have a vet tech do it? I mean, that's poor utilization of trained staff. Or they have no trained staff and the doctors are doing tech things. Well, both scenarios are incorrect there. <laughs> they should not be doing it. So when you hear a doctor say something like that, question it. Question why they didn't have a vet tech do that. And of course, last but not least, and I hate to uh, I, I hate to bring this up as the last thing, but I think um, I think it's a very important thing, and it's a, it's the heaviest thing. Um, support your vet tech friends and support your veterinarians and support your veterinary assistants because it's rough right now, and they're committing suicide. Like, it's very... It's very real. It's very real that veterinarians and veterinary staff are committing suicide at a much higher rate. It's happened in my circle. It's happened twice in my circle in the last couple of years. And there are two organizations I want to mention, Not One More Vet and Not One More Vet Support Staff. Um, they are there to bring awareness to mental health in this profession. Uh, and they're, they're there to bring awareness to the public, but also to support uh, the veterinarians and veterinary supports and veterinary staff who need it the most. Check in with your homies. I can't emphasize that enough. Check in with people, appreciate them. Their life is hard and it can feel very hopeless most of the time. So now is the time to check in with your homies. I feel like people love vet techs. People love them, you know, and right now the career is killing them. So as technicians, what can we do? You know, that we talked about what you can do as a client, as a technician. I think what we can do, honestly, is support the next generation. And I know I just bitched about the training and the being burnt out on the training and all that, but I think that the toxic culture in veterinary medicine is a problem. And the short staffing is part of what fuels that. Um, But I think that we have to change it and it has to come from within. You know, it's gotta come from the OGs. We're the ones who are here. We're the ones who know it best. You gotta support the next generation. The toxic culture that exists, I think it stems from an invalidation of the career. You know, I mean, people hoard their skills. They want to be like the one who can do that. Like, oh, that's my thing. Oh, I'm the best at that. Oh, that's my deal. I mean, guess what? News flash, y'all. It ain't about you. <laughs> it's not about you. It's about the patience. It's about the patience. It's about doing it the best for the patients. And that means that everyone in the room needs to be able to do all the things that's what's best for them because guess what you ain't always going to be there. You there may be something else going on. Go on vacation. Go on vacation, please. And that means that the new kids are going to be able to gonna have to be able to do it for you. And they should be able to do it for you so you can all give each other's breaks. There's no room for ego in a crowded emergency room. The young ones have to learn. Be the positive change. Uh, I think it's an amazing feeling to watch your homies succeed. Let them. You know, there's this old adage of, you know, you're only as good as your, like when I was stage managing, you know, you're only as good as your last show. Um, I mean, veterinary technicians are kind of like that too. Like you're only as good as your last IV catheter. No, that's not true, man. I mean, I think I'm only as good as the new kid's last IV catheter. That's how good I am because, you know, no one else out there is doing this work, but ourselves, we have to push it forward. We have to keep it positive. We can't be fighting amongst ourselves and ego tripping about the job. This is about this is about the four le- the four-legged friends. That's who it's about. and teaching the next generation how to be positive and how to do this career long term and how to do it joyfully and responsibly long term. That's what our job is. That's what we have to do. Oh, man. I just looked at the time punch on the you know like on my thing and it's like 45 minutes. <laughs> Also, oh my God, somebody pushed play on her. Um, Thank you all so much for listening. I know this is a little bit of a departure from what we usually do, but I just felt like, you know, after I was talking, after I was interviewed myself um, on the Vet Tech Cafe podcast that like we really hadn't, we really haven't talked about this on this show and they do a lot of talking about it on their show. But it's you know I don't I also don't want it to be an echo chamber. I don't want it to just be veterinary technicians talking about this. I think we all need to talk about it. Anybody who owns an animal needs to talk about it because it's affecting everyone. Um, and I think that it, this may be one of those things that comes kind of like you know climate change is going to be consumer driven to try to get the change going. You know like plastic use. Don't buy plastic. <laughs> is consumer driven. Um, I think we may start to see a similar thing start to happen in veterinary medicine where the people who are spending the money are the ones that are gonna have to say something. Um, because man, us veterinary technicians, we've been screaming in the cave for a cool minute, and it just seems to be getting worse. And so uh, i'm 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 here to ask for your help, guys. I know you love veterinary technicians. I know you do, and that's why you're here. Um, help us make the change. And I promise to help make the change, too. I, too, promise. You know, I've been doing this for more than 10 years. I'm, I'm, I'm here to stay. You're stuck with me. So uh, I'm going to do my best. And uh, I hope you guys do, too. And um, I hope you have a wonderful Thanksgiving. I hope you eat a lot of turkey and pass out, because that's exactly what I'm planning to do. And I'm going to give Prince a little bit. But just a little bit, because you know what I don't want? I don't want him to come and see me at work. <laughs> Happy Turkey Day, y'all. Operation. Operation Rescue, they're here to write our phone They've heard our trouble call, Operation. Operation Rescue, you wonder where they come from, but I just wonder why they